we're all friends and family here, aren't we? Yeah? Because I need the answer to be yes before I show my first slide. <laughs> this is my bedroom. Now, a few people, I think, have just jumped on their phone and defriended me on Facebook. <laughs> and a couple of people might not talk to me again. And by the way, this is my half of the room. Tanya's half of the room is immaculate. So, so don't imagine that this is a reflection on Tanya's half of the room, okay? This is my half of the room. How would you describe this? <laughs> messy? We've been, talking, we've been talking about messy church. <laughs> How does Tanya get out the door? That's a really good question. I reckon, can I just say, I reckon there's a few people that went, oh, phew, I'm not that bad after all. <laughs> Sam? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you can't use that against your mum and dad to say Matt did it, so therefore I'm allowed to have a messy room. This was taken a week ago, and I have done some washing since then, so it doesn't look like this today, but um, this isn't unusual. And, um, and you'd probably describe it as messy. But you see, I actually know where everything is there. I, I know in amongst what looks from the outside like mess... See, when you, when you describe mess, it's confusing, chaotic, disorderly, dirty, tangled, and it's, it's probably a bit dirty and tangled, I'll, I won't deny that. Um, but to me, it's actually not chaotic. There's a pattern to it. There's a method to the, what looks like craziness, yeah? Now, I'm not denying that it looks messy. I'm not pretending that that's not the case. But I would say, rather than being messy, I would describe it as complicated. <laughs> It's intricate, it's elaborate, it's complex, it's puzzling, and it's difficult for you to understand. But I understand it. It makes sense to me. And mind you, anyone that's ever been to our house, you've probably never seen my bedroom. You've all walked past the door and it's always been shut. Now you know why. <laughs> because I know it looks messy. And so the best solution is to shut the door and that solves the problem for what other people might look like. It's messy. And we've been talking about messy church and the idea that church is a bit like a hospital and things are messy in a hospital. But I want to make a bit of a clarification here because when you have a room of surgeons and nurses and anaesthetists all operating on someone, to someone from the outside, that looks messy. But to those people in the room... They are in control. They, to them, it's not messy. It's actually all going to plan and everything is orderly. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone, it looks messy because there's, you know, blood and guts and stuff there. Until the surgeon nicks an artery, then it gets messy, right? That wasn't what they planned. They weren't ready for that. That wasn't what they hoped for. And all of a sudden, what was just complicated and required, you know, it was, it was how it was meant to be, turned into something that was actually messy. They had to clean something up, fix something, make it back to still complicated, but not as messy. And again, when we talk about church as an army, you go, there's, you know, when you have an army base, there's people coming in from missions overnight at the same time as the people are going out. It, there, there's a bustle of activity that, you know, there's no, it looks from the outside like it's messy, but there's actually order and structure and there's purpose and, and it's how it's meant to be until 
the helicopter gets shot down with a bunch of guys in it. And all of a sudden, it gets messy. That wasn't what they intended to happen. And they've got to work out who's alive, who's not. How can we rescue them? How can we... That wasn't the plan. And so there's actually a very clear distinction between... And I'm not claiming that this is not messy, just to let you know. But it is messy and complicated. And they're, they're actually two different things. Because messy is something that you don't want to stay in. You actually want to work out of. And I've got a bit of work to do on that. Complicated is actually something that you're not trying to get out of. You're not trying to get away from. It's just harder to understand. And you just want to understand it. And you want to try and give it some context. And understanding God, the church, following Jesus, actually can be a bit like that. And if we take love, for example, really simple, something that kids can understand. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. When the kids were younger, and we still use it a little bit now, we used to use the phrase, thinking about others. When the kids would, you know, see a bowl of lollies or something, and the first thought is, how many of them can I have? It's like, hey, are you thinking about others? Is, you know, let's, let's change and, and trying to introduce this idea of love. It's a concept, young kids can understand love. But then, as John um, brilliantly unpacked a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, it's not self-seeking, is not easily angered. It starts getting a bit more complicated. This simple idea of love your neighbour as yourself actually has some facets to it and has some challenges in it that, that make love actually a bit more complicated than just simply just love. But we're not yet messy. We're just a little bit more complicated than where we started. But it's very easy for love to get messy. For example, if I thought that the only way that people would show love to me is by mowing my lawns, there'd be only two people in this room that I would think love me. That's messy. That's, it's rubbish. But it's messy. Because there's only two people in this room that offered to mow on my lawns. So, so all of a sudden, this idea of love and the way I think I should receive love actually got really messy. And it works the opposite way too. When Tanya and I were first married, Tanya's mum would very lovingly come to our house and see that there were some dishes that needed doing and do them. Brilliant act of love. Wasn't received as love because it was received as a judgment on the condition of the house and that Tanya wasn't doing a good enough job. It gets messy. That wasn't the intention. The intention was to be loving. But all of a sudden, Tanya feels condemned. She's not like that now. But, but back then, it was, it was this measure of, you know, failure. And so this simple concept of love starts as simple. We unpack it a bit more and realise that there's different aspects to it. It actually gets complicated. And then as people, it can get messy. If I was to tell you that it was dark in here, what would your answer be? Simple, turn the light on. There's a, there's a simple fix to that, isn't there? You just go over the corner and flick the switch. That's brilliant. But the electrician would tell you, you've simplified it a bit too much. It's not quite that easy. Because behind the switch is actually some wires 
and the wires have to be the right wires that connect the right switch that has the right power coming in to the right. You know, we have no idea, you know, what voltage this, these lights are meant to be and what gauge wires need to be. There's, there's complexity underneath the simple idea of turning a light on. And then the physicists would come in and say, well, the electrician simplified a little bit too much. There's actually, there's actually more to it than that. Um, we've got to look at subatomic particles and electrons and protons, and you just go, yeah, okay, I'm, don't check out now, I'm not going any further. Um, but, but the idea of a simple act of turning on a light, actually, there's some complexity behind it. When everything is roses, it's fine, you just flick the switch on, it all works. Until the light doesn't work, and then all of a sudden you have to work out what's going on, and I have to actually understand a little bit more of the complexity. So, in, in approaching our faith, in approaching our journey as a church, in approaching what messy church and what being a follower of Jesus looks like, we actually have stuff that's very simple. God is approachable. He's not out to trick us. He's not out to make us jump through hoops and make life difficult for us. And, and as you look at the way Jesus interacts with people, he, he told stories to, to simplify, not to, to make things harder, to try and help people understand that God's agenda is not one to, to confuse us, but it's actually quite simple. And he says in Luke 18, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You've got you to believe, you've got to trust like a child. And so it's like this skipping rope. It's simple. You just play with it and, and enjoy the, the skipping rope. I don't think any child has ever wondered about how, maybe they have, but wondered how the skipping rope's made or, or anything like that. But it gets complicated because within that skipping rope, there's actually some fairly complex weaving. To, to make that skipping rope simple, there's some things behind it that, that is actually quite involved. It's quite intricate. It was designed that way. It was meant to be that way but it's, it becomes more complicated. In Hebrews 6, it says, so let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. There's a sense that we don't want to just sit at the simple basic level. We want to actually explore and grow and mature and, and understand what, what God's on about. But then also, beyond that, things get messy. They're out of order. They're not the way it was designed to be. And, and the idea that, that we don't want to remain in the messy, but we want to know how those things fit together and why it's messy and, and get back to simple and, and possibly complicated. So this morning, I've got three signs. The first sign is that simple. I'm going to... You can be simple. And I've got, that's complicated. There you go, Scott. And Stuart, they can have that's messy. And for the rest of the message, there's going to be times I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you guys whether, it's, whether you think it's simple, it's complicated, or it's messy. Yeah? Does that make sense? So you don't have to do anything at the moment. And does, do you want to respond? It's complicated at the moment? Okay. <laughs> and it's messy? Cool. Excellent. <laughs> It's definitely not simple by the sound of things. So, um, so yeah, just there's going to be some moments that I'm going to go, is it, are, we, are we complicated, are we messy, or are we simple? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Does anyone know where that's from? John 3.16. This is a very well-known verse, but I want to look at what's around it, including this verse. Because starting at verse 12 in John 3, it says, I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. When we pull out that passage, often we focus on that God's love has initiated this, and that's really important. And we we often focus on the reward, the outcome. However, eight times in this passage is the word believe. Smack bang in the middle of that verse is the word believe. And believe is one of these things that we often take as a simple word. We often understand as being simple, to believe. And to believe is to have faith, to trust, to commit, to commit to. How are we going so far? Complicated, messy, simple, excellent, good, cool. And, and it's meant to be simple. We believe. We have faith in, we trust, we commit to. And we look at passages, Jesus used this this word and and to have faith in frequently. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He told um, the, um, what's his name? Cyphus. To, um, in Mark 5, don't be afraid, just believe. When um, his child was, they thought was dead. In John 20, he says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And in Acts, we read, believe in the Lord Jesus. This is to the jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So this idea of believing, although it's simple, is actually very significant, very fundamental, very important to our faith and our journey. And the interesting thing is that obviously if Jesus is standing in front of people saying believe, he's not talking about believing that he exists. Often we think of belief as going, I believe Jesus actually came to the earth. You know, there's some people that go, oh, did he really exist? Was he real? He wasn't asking people to believe in that because he was standing in front of them. He was asking them to believe in what he stood for, what, who he claimed he was, what he, represent, what he represented, and for people to follow him, to trust in him. But it's not yet complicated or messy. It's very fundamental and very important. 
However, we've been blessed because we've had 2,000 years of faithful men and women trying to understand and trying to explore what it means to believe, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so there's a lot of things that we take for granted that haven't always been that case. 200 years after Jesus went back to heaven, they decided to get all the bishops together and they met in Nicaea. And they, the, the biggest item on their agenda was, let's try and be consistent about what we believe. Let's try and actually be on the same page so that we've got unity. We're told to be in unity. And so they, they went and they wrote um, what we know as the Nicene Creed, which was the first council of Nicaea. They all got together and they debated a bunch of things. There were some issues and some people that were heretics that they wanted to try and understand. But the big thing that they wanted to talk about is let's actually agree on what we believe. And to us, we kind of go, oh, that's a bit weird. I thought that was kind of, we kind of know that. But that's because we have an awesome heritage of people that have invested in that. And in fact, then over 50 years later, they got back together and refined that. Oh, that's a bit weird. And this is what they actually came up with. So the green bits are what they added the second time. Oh, wow, they didn't think of that the first time. I'll read through it. Sorry, it's a bit small. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, (coughs) and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Now you can tell they went to a lot of effort with that line because there was a question over whether Jesus was God or not. And they were like, let's be very clear. He wasn't made. He wasn't a creation of of God. He was begotten. He was God exhibiting in a human form. So they were very clear about what that looks like, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. From thence he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake to the prophets. Again, there's reference there that the Holy Spirit is God. They, They want to make that clear. In one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So this is in 380 AD, this was written. Um, And this idea of believing all of a sudden actually gets a little bit more complicated. That this simple idea of just submitting to Jesus actually has different aspects to it, different levels that, that get a little bit more complicated. It's funny because when you go to, um, to Facebook, um, you'll often see little phrases that people put on there or they've, they've captured or liked or something from somewhere else. Um, little um, little uh, life 
tips, you might like to call them. And, uh, and yesterday, um, I jumped on and just grabbed the first three that I found. So if, if you put this up there, I'm not having a go at you. Um, the first one was, the more man meditates upon good thoughts, the better will be his world and the world at large. Apparently Confucius said that according to this, this post. Second one is, every time you get upset at something, ask yourself if you were to die tomorrow, was it worth wasting your time being angry? And the third one I grabbed, our job is to love people, not change them. Now, none of these quotes are bad. There's nothing wrong with those quotes. But they're useless. And the reason they're useless is because ticking a like button isn't going to change those things. Sitting on a page isn't of any relevance. And having agreed on what you believe is useless too. If it doesn't result in action, if it doesn't result in doing something. So sharing nice ideas on Facebook is fine, but unless someone actually goes, you know what, I believe that. And by saying I believe that, they're actually saying, I'm going to apply that to my life. That, that bit of, those words are pointless. They're just fluff. They're just a nice idea that make us feel good. And so this is where believe actually starts getting a bit more complicated. Because there's a whole heap of things that we say with our lips, that we read in Scripture, but unless we actually believe them, they, they're meaningless. So I just, I just wrote these. Um, these aren't, you know, fancy words or anything, so don't. Correct me for the um, details, but there is one God who is active in the world today. Yeah? The Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the infallible word of God. Yeah? Cool? God is love. God is good. He desires wholeness, and you could put, you know, putting people back together, restoring the broken, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, for everyone, including a personal relationship with him. Yeah? Jesus is God in the flesh, our Lord and Saviour. Yeah? Yep, we're all... Yep. Salvation is a gift of grace, not a result of our efforts. Yeah? Cool? Jesus calls us to believe and follow him. Are we... Yep, cool. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God a gift in dwelling believers, convicting, empowering, leading, and developing Christ's characters in their lives. And the last one I threw in here was the church is Jesus' bride, the body of Christ. Now, we could, there's so many other things that we could put down there. I'm not saying this is an exclusive list. But each of these, if we treat them like a Facebook post, is useless, is meaningless. And I would say if we treat them like that, then... We don't really believe them. And in fact, when, when you think about believing, believing leads to a response. Believing in Jesus leads to following Jesus because if you believe in Jesus and he says he is the only way to the Father and he says he is the Lord, 
that is the master, the ruler, the one that has authority, then you do what the master says. So you naturally follow him because you believe in him. So if I, I'm going to get here, Sherry. It's a lotto ticket. It's, um, it, I won. Um, it's one and a half million dollars. It's got the winning numbers right there, game 12. Um, and I'm going to give it to you. It's yours. Totally, totally yours. Yeah? <laughs> Run. Now, do you believe me? No. So what are you going to do about it? Neither do I. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say, that's not a real lotto ticket. I found it on the internet yesterday. <laughs> but, but, it, but you don't believe me, so you're probably going to throw that in the bin. And then <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing Ben's going to throw it in the bin. He's going to look at it and see it came out of my printer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't believe me? What if you did believe me? What if you were 100% convinced that it was true? You'd be, would you do something about it or you just... Throw it in the bin as well. You do something about it. <laughs> and, and that's my point, is that it's not very believable, and so she's not going to do anything about it. I don't blame her. I wouldn't do anything about it either. <laughs> but if it is believable, you would all say she'd be stupid not to do something about it. There's one and a half million dollars sitting there waiting for her. And you go, well, if you believe that this is a real ticket... Why, why wouldn't you go and claim what Matt's given you? And that's what, that's what James is talking about here. A lot of people, I think, misunderstand James and, and we get stuck in this works mentality of to please God, we've got to work. But we, we clearly before agreed that salvation is not by works. What James is saying is just like the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There is a natural outworking of if you believe, you do something about it. You, you respond to it. And this is, this is how we're going, our three people with signs. Where are we at? So we're possibly complicated, possibly a bit messy. We're no longer simple. It's simple. The, um, the challenge comes when we take these big phrases, these big claims like, follow Jesus. And we, we go to a circumstance, and there's been a number of times where I've had to spend a lot of money, like when you buy a car. And you go, you know what? We're talking about thousands of malaria immunizations right there. Instantly, the moment I buy that car, there's, you know, 2,500 malaria immunizations that, that weren't given to kids in Africa. Mmm, now it's not so easy. And I'm not saying that the malaria tablets are more important than the car or vice versa. All I'm saying is we're now getting a bit complicated. Following Jesus is not always easy. It's not always simple. And the choices that we make actually get quite hard and quite complicated. But the thing is, it's not just complicated because it's actually in our world messy. Because belief is under fire. It's under attack. Today, in our world, believing is not easy. Oh, sorry, it's, it's, it, it is easy and it is complicated, but it is also messy. It's in a state that is not the way it was designed to be. 
because it is under attack. Um, and it's under attack in a bunch of different ways. And the first way it's under attack, attack, attack is by a concept that truth is relative. And you would have all, all experienced this in different places. All religions lead to God. Everyone who, has a, who believes in any religion is really just trying to be a better person. And so as long as you're a good person, that's fine. Um, we can all be correct in that model. Um, we're all okay because everything that you believe is okay. It's all, you know, it's relative to who you are. Um, so Joel can believe what Joel wants to believe. And if he wants to believe in, you know, the tooth fairy, then good for you, Joel. That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, that, and, and that's okay. We're, we're happy just to coexist and whatever you believe is fine for you and whatever I believe is fine for me. Jesus contradicts that. He says there's only one way to the Father and that's through him. So how can we, co, how can we actually be on the same page? Now, if you try to challenge truth is relative, you will be laughed at. You will be ridiculed. You'll be told you're old-fashioned. You'll be told you're dogmatic. You'll be told that you're a fundamentalist, which is actually a compliment, I think, but it's not in our culture considered a compliment. Um, you'll be mocked and people will just think you are so off the planet. Go back to 1927 because that's where you belong. We got rid of you people like you. So it's under attack. Secondly, facts are optional or selective. And you'll have noticed a lot of people pick the bits of information that they want and hold on to it. Now, I'm not sure if you've been following the Cardinal George Pell debacle on the media, and I'm not saying I know George Pell or know he's a good guy or a bad guy. I'm not entering the debate. But what I am saying is you haven't been told everything. And there was some information that I heard during the week that really shocked me. Did you know that he's appeared twice to the commission already? Oh, hang on, he's running from the commission. Let's beat up on George Pell because he's avoiding the commission. Nobody else has appeared twice before the commission before. And he's coming back for a third time. Well, he's not coming back, but he's appearing for a third time. But everyone wants to give you a little piece of the picture and not the whole picture. He is appearing before the commission, not in body but he is still appearing for a third time. The only person to do so for a third time is actually going to appear before the commission. But that doesn't make a good story. That doesn't make him a target. Did you know that he actually said he couldn't appear before the commission in November, December last year? Oh, hang on. There's a bit of information we forgot to miss out. This isn't new news. This has actually been... He's, he's cancelled a trip to Florida as well that he was meant to be speaking in Florida and he can't do that either. So he's not just avoiding this scenario, he's actually not travelling to other commitments he has as well. And as I said, I'm not, I'm not saying whether he's right or wrong. All I'm saying is that facts are optional or selective. And that is, we tell the story we want to tell with the information that we want to put together. And it happens all the time, it's great marketing strategy, because if I want to tell you that my product's better than yours, I just tell the things that are better about my product. I don't tell you about the things that are worse than the other guy. We always just tell the part that we want to tell. And so there's this breakdown of truth, of belief, by just picking and choosing the story we want to tell. Everything is critical. So the way we destroy what's important and what we believe is by saying everything is equally important. 
So the fact that I had to wait an extra three minutes to go through the drive-through at Macca's is worth a drama. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to post it on Facebook. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, it's the news of my week is that McDonald's made me wait an extra three minutes. And, and it happens. You, you see people get caught up in the drama of, of whatever is in the moment and all of a sudden everything is critical. And there's a brilliant quote from uh, a movie called The Incredibles. Um, and um, there's a little kid who's struggling with his superpower. Um, he can run fast and everyone and his parents tell him to, to, you know, just to slow down a little bit in the race so he doesn't beat the other kids so he kind of fits in. Um, and he's like, I'm torn between wanting to win and wanting to fit in with the other kids. And, um, and his mum says, everyone is special, Dash. His name's Dash. And Dash's reply is, that's just another, another way of saying no one is. Everyone is special, Dash. That's just another way of saying no one's special. And I disagree with him, but that's what's happening here. If we say everything you believe is important, everything is significant, then what you're really saying is nothing is significant. Nothing stands out more than anything else. So my drama today is as important as your belief in God. They're, they're all the same. They're all equal. And what you're really saying is nothing is significant. There's nothing that's more significant than anything else. And lastly, and we've all experienced this, is that my kingdom reigns. It's about me. It's about my family. Good things like protecting my family, wanting the best for my family, wanting the best for me. And again, it looks on the surface like some nice things, some good things. And I'm not saying we should ignore our families, but families come under God. Our lives, if we say we believe in Jesus, come under his authority. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to decide what facts are optional and what aren't. Bits of the Bible that we like and don't like. Because there is ultimate truth and there is something that we can believe in. But there's, it's not just doom and gloom because there is an offensive side of belief and and I, I didn't mean this is two meanings, but I like that it has two meanings. And that is offensive being not defensive, in, a, in attack, being proactive. Um, but at the same time, there is some offence. There is some grating in saying that belief is... is uh, there is fundamental beliefs that stand above others. And so, uh, so I, I, I didn't mean it, but it is there. And as believers, we can, we can get caught up in simple and not actually explore what that means. I love the Lord. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. But not actually digging in deeper and going, what does that look like in my life? How, what decisions am I making? What, am I making decisions that reflect that? And so the first thing is, Know what you believe. It says in 1 Peter 3, Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. 
but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clean. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if it is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. So knowing what you believe and actually, actually not just taking my word for it, though I hope those sentences before weren't your basis of faith. I hope you just looked at those and went, yep, that reinforces what I've already looked in Scripture, what I've already explored, what I've already gleaned and learnt, and, 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 and I know the rock on which I stand. Know that you have a foundation. Know that there is truth that is not relative, that is not selective, that is not just pick and choose, that it is real and true and foundational. Know that. Then exercise it, live it, work it out, explore it. God's not out to go, oh, you got that wrong, Sam. You know, you gave it a go, but no, wrong answer. You failed. Go and explore, explore what it means to be my follower. Wrestle with it, understand it. You know, you're going to come up with something tomorrow that you've never experienced before. That's okay. Go back to the Word. Ask people that you know are standing on the rock too. Wrestle with it. Explore it. Don't just sit back and let it be what it is. Live what you believe. Thirdly, share what you believe. I've always been fascinated, and you would have heard me um, use this verse before when I talk about giving testimony. And it's from Revelation. And it was a revelation to me because when, when they're talking about the victory at the end um, and, and the, the victory of Jesus, the phrase is, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, I get that, and the word of their testimony. What? They overcame by the blood. I get the blood of the lamb. Jesus, that makes sense. But the word of the testimony actually is what helped them overcome. And it all makes sense when you see how much Jesus says, believe, believe, believe. And again, he says, believe, because the testimony reinforces it, 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 uh, it reinforces what people believe. And so when we come here on a Sunday morning and we say, God is good and he's good. God has a plan for our life. He has a plan for our life. So how did you go last week? What was he doing? Everyone goes quiet. Go, hang on. Is he good? Does he have a plan for my life? Maybe I don't believe that. Because if he is good, he has a plan for our life, he's living and active, he's working through the Holy Spirit in our lives, don't we have something to share? Don't we have something to encourage others with? Isn't there, isn't there a reflection of what we believe happening in our lives? And so this idea of sharing what we believe is actually powerful. It's a weapon and it's an offensive weapon to claim territory when someone else is doubting or struggling, which isn't wrong. It's not wrong to doubt or struggle, but what you need is people around you who are sharing testimony of, of, of what God is doing. So that what you believe and what you, what's happening in, in action is really happening. And so it's really important that we actually wrestle with this. That we go, what do I believe? What am I putting in practice? And then, what did God do in that? 
because I know he does it. I don't always trust him. I don't always step out in faith every week and, and lean on what he wants me to do. But when I do, he's always there without fail, every time. And you talk to Peter and Sarah about camp, you talk to anyone, I haven't heard from, from um, Michael yet, but I guarantee you, wherever Michael went, God was there. And he has a story to tell about that. And I, as soon as I saw him this morning, I went, I'm going to go up to him afterwards and say, can we hear from you? Um, not, not this morning, no pressure. But I do want, I want to hear. I want to hear what God's doing. I want to be reminded of what I believe in real life. Rubber on the road not just ideas that get posted on Facebook. And so it's really important that we don't just sit back and let belief become just simple. Yay, I believe. That it's actually something that we wrestle with and it's complicated and it gets messy because it's under attack and it's being watered down and turned into something that's wishy-washy, that's um, neither here nor there. So hold on to it, own it, make it influence your life and make a difference. And then when someone says, why on earth did you do that? You can say, well, I believe this. Those kids are important. So I'm out leading kids church because I value them. And this is why I do it. This is what's important to me. I've made a choice that actually has meaning. Because when things get messy or complicated, there's the risk that we run, that we avoid it, that we retreat. It's, it's not uncommon and I do it too. But the thing is, when you get messy and complicated, go back to simple. When things get messy or complicated, go back to simple. What's at the heart of what drives me? Because you know what happens when that nurse sees the, the surgeon nick a, um, an artery? I'm out of here. <laughs> they get in there. They go, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I asked. I, I was here just to hold the whatever and do the whatever. I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't plan to have to deal with this, this accident. It wasn't what I intended. But if I go back to the reason I'm a nurse, I've got a job to do here. I've got a purpose here. And so they actually excel in the messiness if they know why they're there. And so if you keep going back, when things get messy or complicated, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying go back to the foundations of why you're doing it. What motivates you? What drives you? What's important here in the mess? What's, what's the clarity in the mess? What, where are we trying to get to? There's a wrestle going on here. Belief is under attack and we're all faced with it, every single one of us. And if you, if you don't think it's under attack, give it a year or two. You'll remember this day in a few years' time when, when what we believe is outlawed, is stupid. If you think our country is a Christian country, it's not. It is not a Christian country. And if we think that we can just sit back and in our own quiet place believe that Jesus is Lord and Saviour and has a plan for our life, we're deceived. The enemy would love us to do that because that's in a place of doing nothing. 
you're going to hit the wall. You're going to find out who, who um, is your friends and who's not your friends when you actually stand up for what you believe and you actually live for what you believe. You are going to have enemies. You're going to find it hard. But Jesus says, believe. Believe. And it's so important that when we get together here, we're not creating something new. We're actually bringing a body together that is already out there in the world living and believing and responding. And we come together to encourage, to, to remind, to, to equip, to build up so that when you go back out to the battle and you have to deal like the nurse or like the soldier who has to, to work out you know, which bodies are alive and which bodies are dead, left dead. And like, they don't want to be there, but they know why they're there and they know what's important. So I'd really love you just to spend a little bit of time just thinking about what you believe. Think about what's important for you. For some of you, you might go, oh, that's simple. I do that all the time. I'm awesome. Love it. Keep doing it. Encourage others. For some of you, you might go, it's all a little bit of a mess. I, I, I haven't really processed it. I, I don't, don't quite know how it fits together. Just stop and reflect. You might say it's, it's complicated. There's some challenges in my life that make it really hard for me right now. It's okay. It's okay. Because if you believe that Jesus wants the best for you, if you believe that what he did on the cross was for you and for you to live life abundantly, then he'll carry that. He'll work with you in that. It's not that it's not going to be messy. It's not that it's not going to be complicated. But it does, it is based on things that are simple, that we can hold on to as truths. Real truths, not truths for me and for you. Genuine truths that we're here, whether we were here or not. And then we're going to move into a time of worship. But it's an opportunity for us to speak out what we believe. Not to just feel good about ourselves, but a declaration to our body, to our family, a declaration to God, and a declaration to our week that's coming up. Because we don't need right now, well, we do need to believe, but this is not the hard place. This is the nice place. This is, it's not always nice, but this is, this is the incubator. This is the warm, comfortable space where we grow. But when we get pushed out of the nest, we've got to fly. We've got to believe our wings can do that. And that's tomorrow is when we need to believe. I'm not saying we don't need to now, but we desperately need it tomorrow. And so we're going to spend some time worshipping and there's a whole heap of words that could just be words, could be just, just be nice Facebook phrases, but they're not. They're declarations of eternal truth. They're declarations of our stance and declarations of God's position. And I'd really encourage you, once you've um, spent some time with the Lord and you feel it's right, to join in, to worship him, to declare with your lips 
out loud together what it is we believe.